Today on the flagship show on the Cinematic Sound Radio Podcast. We open our doors to one of our biggest Patreon supporters, Joe Wiles, who brings with him an eclectic set of cues of his choosing to play for you on today's program. He will also be my guest as we chat with him and talk to him about his life, his career, his interest in film music, and why he brought these tracks with him today. I really hope you enjoyed today's special edition of the flagship show here on the Cinematic Sound Radio Podcast, which begins now. Since 1996, this is the Cinematic Sound Radio Network. And welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to today's episode of the flagship show on the Cinematic Sound Radio Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Woods, and on today's program, we're presenting a special show. My guest will be one of our biggest Patreon supporters, and we'll be talking to him in just a moment. But before we begin, I'd like to invite you to join our Cinematic Sound Radio Podcast Patreon at patreon.com slash cinematic sound. There you can sign up for one of the numerous tiers. The lowest tier is just a dollar a month. Your money goes towards supporting the show by helping to pay for server space, domain registration, and new equipment when needed, and various other things. We also have a thriving community over there right now. We have new patrons signing up each week offering their support, and they are getting some great benefits for their donations, including the opportunity to program their own show. Uh, Alan Rogers uh, did that recently. You can participate in all request shows, which we had on the program a few weeks back. And you can also listen to old Cinematic Sound Radio FM broadcast. That's just a small handful of things you get when you sign up. Again, patreon.com slash cinematic sound radio. We also love hearing from you. Let us know what you think of the show, and I really do mean that. All of the hosts here at Cinematic Sound Radio love hearing from our listeners, so if you like what you hear, then drop us a line. It only takes a few moments, and trust me, hearing from you inspires us, and it really does keep us going. So if you have anything to say, please send it to cinematicsound at yahoo.com. And while you're at it, please leave us a five-star review on your favorite podcatcher. It really does help new listeners discover the show and informs them of what this show is all about. So with all of that out of the way, now on to today's program. So everyone, let's welcome Joe to the show. Uh, you are our first patron member, uh, guest on the program. Uh, you selected the top tier at Cinematic Sound Radio's uh, Patreon page, and that got you access to everything we do over there. And it gave you one other thing that only one other member actually gets, and that's the opportunity to talk with me tonight and play whatever you want and talk about whatever you want. So 
I'm uh, glad that, uh, you know, you're one of our biggest supporters, and it really is my honor to welcome you to the show. Thank you, Eric. The, the pleasure is absolutely mine. Uh, been a big fan ever since you've been on podcasts. Uh, I know a tremendous amount about you, and you know very little about me, which is uh, a little <laughs> uh, awkward, um, but uh, we'll, we'll work through it. Uh, we, you've been... Uh, with me for um, I don't know how many years now have you been um, been on the had your program on the podcast? Uh, the podcast has been since 2016. Yeah, I, I, I feel that it was before that. Yeah, so I started streaming in around 2003 myself, and of course the show has been on. Geez, when it was on the radio, it was on real audio. Maybe four years after I started, and so. Yeah. I mean, 2003, I remember doing my first ever like internet only show. So, but the podcast, yeah, the podcast became the podcast of 2016. So yeah. So how did you find me? Always been a movie score fan. Um, it's it, my mother. Um, when my mom told me years and years and years ago that, you know, the guy that does the star Wars music, the guy that does the Superman music and the same is, is the same guy does the ET music. I remember having that conversation with my mom in a car when I was very young and it, and it kind of blew my mind. So she, she uh, helped me understand um, where that stuff came from, whatever. And we were always big fans and, and it, I've always been a, a huge star Wars fan and obviously a John Williams fan, but moving forward uh, we've talked prior and, and I'm a professional chef. Um, I've worked in hotels and restaurants and whatever, but my wife is a, is a choral and music teacher in the middle school and high school. And one of her responsibilities is she's responsible for putting on the high school musical every year. Well, high school musicals become a family affair. And I have been building the sets for those musicals for well over 15 years. So that's how you and I met. I would go into the schools overnight, over into her school overnight to build the sets. You can't do it during the day. You're making noise. You know, I, I do light carpentry or whatever, but I basically take over the school. The school is empty and I go up on the stage and I build sets. Now, when it first started, I had, you know, I would have a speaker on the stage or whatever. Then we went to Bluetooth headphones and, and we, we've evolved since then. So I needed something that one, I enjoyed and two, that was extremely long because I didn't want to keep having to look for more things to listen to or whatever. The fact that it was a movie score podcast and that your episodes were really long was intriguing to me. And I was able to go back. And when you had your specials with John Williams and you had multiple, uh, multiple episodes just on John Williams, I could go in there and kick out some stuff in six hours of John Williams. And that's a good day or night for this. <laughs> you know. So that's where we met. However, it hasn't always been a match made in heaven because on occasion you would have pieces of music that one doesn't want to listen to when they're on a stage in an empty high school at three o'clock in the morning. Yeah. And it can be very eerie sometimes <laughs> when you start playing <laughs> some things. And uh, there was a couple of instances where I couldn't drop what I was doing fast enough and run across the stage and turn the speaker off. Cause I was like, no, no, we're not doing that. Not right now. And I, I wish I could go back and find the episode and find the piece of music. Cause you would listen to it and go, yeah, I understand what you're talking about now. Cause it was just very, it was a horror movie. I don't know what it was. All of a sudden, children started singing. And I'm not doing singing children at 3 o'clock in the morning in an empty high school. <laughs> it must have been one of the Halloween episodes, but that's, I'm sure that's that, hilarious. <laughs> but there's, I mean, I said to my wife, I said, there's got to be video, you know, security camera video of me 
just looking up, looking around, and hightailing it across that stage so I can shut this thing off because I need to listen to some popular music for a little bit because that was that was scary. But it's hilarious. That's where we've met. That's where I've been listening to ever since. My commutes uh, tend to be really long for work, um, so I always have ample time to uh, uh, listen and enjoy uh, film scores. And, and I, I always love compilations, and with your programs being mostly compilations, um, it was a it was a good fit. So I thank you for that. Uh, and I thank you for listening. So, I mean, because when I think about, you know, the type of podcast people like, you know, they want to hear a lot of talking or like being talk radio, you know, interviews and things of that sort. So I'm, I'm really I really appreciate the fact that you like the musical suites in between. And, uh, and I think that works for what you needed it for. So, um, I really appreciate that you appreciate the way that my show is produced. Yeah. And, and the fact that it was the whole pieces of music, nobody was doing that at the time. And, you know, that yes, there was clips and yes, there's reviews and let, yes, there's shows that discuss and talk about music and play little clips. But the fact that you could, you know, you would play the whole piece of music and I would go, I would never have gone to see that movie or watch that movie, but I'm going to now because of that music. And that happened time and time again. So um, it was great. And when the Patreon thing came up, that was a no brainer for me of me piggybacking on your um, your passion for this uh, this field. Um, the least I could do was sign up for the Patreon and say, this guy's been with me all night long building those sets for years and years and years. The least I can do is, is pay him a little something back. So that was it was an easy thing for me. You know, I've been taken from, from you for years and uh, it was, it was my pleasure. So, and here we are. So great. And I, yeah, I, I appreciate you. I mean, you signed up for the, like I said, you signed up for the top tier, which again, I put those up there thinking, ah, you know, we'll see who's going to sign up. And they were one of the first two to go. And I'm like, maybe I should have put up more, but I find it fascinating that uh, like I don't, I never know, or usually I don't. Um, rarely do I hear from a listener who tells me when and where they are listening to the program. Sometimes it's you know I I really like the long shows because it, you know you accompany on my commutes or or like uh, this past uh, week after doing the second all request show, um, uh, Glenn who uh, has a, an infant son has been playing great story. Yeah. It's a fantastic story. He's been playing uh, all my shows uh. to his son and his son loves the trumpet. Mm-hmm. And I, it's just such, it's a, such an odd um, realization that my voice is out there somewhere, but I'm, you know, in someone's kitchen or I'm in someone's car or with you, I'm, you know, filling you the, the space while you, you build sets. So I always find that fascinating and uh, and I just thank you very much for, for for sharing that story. But I also, you know, thank you for for supporting um, what we all do here. And it, it really means uh, a, a lot to me because I can remember when those two tiers went. I, I ran downstairs to my wife and I'm like, can you believe <laughs> someone signed up for this? This is insane. And I thought, you know, you two are going to go after, you know, a couple of months and it's just a, you know, a thing. But you've been there from the beginning and, and you're there supporting the show. And I really appreciate that. So that's why. You know, we're giving you this opportunity to, you know, play what you want and say what you want on this show. And I thought that's something that might be something special for someone who signed up for the the top tier. So I really do hope you um, enjoy this in- experience um, because I remember, you know, the first time I was on the air, it was a it was a it was a scary thing to do and know that, you know, my voice is going to be out there and 
you know, but I think that um, it's great for me to interact with, you know, my listeners. And I, and I think this is a wonderful way of doing that. One other thing before we get started, uh, you know, you talked about you know, discovering film music, but, you know, when you have to go to the collection, what what are your favorite scores and who are your favorite composers? Well, you know, I, it's it's all about uh, it's time, it's it's memories, you know, movie scores. Are, are like a photo album and they're all different pictures and they all remind me of a, of a, of a certain time or a place where I saw the movie in, in whatever. Um, I, I grew up with John Williams. I've had the pleasure of being able to see him in person a couple of times at Tanglewood Music Conservatory. Um, you know, something of his that plays, uh, it just reminds me, it, it comforts me, it's family, it's familiar. Um, it's it's important to me and, and, and it's like a warm blanket or, or it's like a family member. It's just, it's comforting. Yeah. There's a real sense of nostalgia when you listen to some of uh, these scores and even some of the, the, the selections you have for us today. I, I, I there's, there are certain memories that go with each track you're going to play. And there's a couple of movies here that just absolutely completely floor me and stick with me uh, to this day. And so I think you've gathered together a really interesting and diverse playlist for us. So why don't you tell us exactly what you brought to the show today? Absolutely. My pleasure. I, I like I said before, I'm a casual uh, a listener. I, I have a large collection. Uh, it's personal to me. You know, everything, uh, I, I get a piece of music because it's personal, because it reminds me of a place or a time or whatever. One And as I'm thinking of categories and I'm looking at pieces of music and I'm thinking, oh, I like that one, I like that one. What what they all had kind of in common was they're all sports movies or they're all movies or films um, that are about a sporting event or, or you know, is, is the centerpiece of the film. So these selections I have today are all movies that are from sports films. What's really interesting about sports films is, uh, you know, they, it's all about the feeling, isn't it? It's all about the emotion. Um, there's always that, that one moment, that inspiring moment in, in, in every sports film that just, it, it, the music sings and soars and, and helps tell the story. And I think you've picked some wonderful tracks that, that do just that. So, and I mean, this first selection that you have for us from an absolute classic film and it's a great way to start off the show uh from the 1986 film Hoosiers directed by David Anspau and uh, you know it has an incredible performance by Gene Hackman but what I also appreciate about the movie is that it feels authentic um and and it helps also with Jerry Goldsmith's score so why don't you tell us why you brought Hoosiers with you today yeah, absolutely. Um, the piece of music that I chose today is called You Did Good. And it's a lengthy piece, but it's a piece that I, I, is a great snapshot of the movie in general. It helps set the scene. It's it's almost Aaron Copeland-like at times where he's um, describing, uh, Jerry Goldsmith is describing Indiana. He's describing, I believe it's the 1950s, um, and just uh, the, the time and what was going on and what was important. And then you'll hear in the music, um, with, uh, something that you'll hear in a lot of these pieces of music where you'll, you'll hear tempo. And obviously there's always um, montages in sports movies where they're going to work or they're in a game or they're working out or they're practicing or whatever. Um, so this piece of music uh, combines setting the scene, 
you, you feel the atmosphere, you, you can feel the angst, the angst um, and you can feel them telling the story. And if you're familiar with Hoosiers and, and you're familiar with what takes place in the movie, this piece of music, um, I think, is a nice snapshot. And, and all these pieces that I've chosen um, help help describe the movie. It's not just the anthem that everybody's heard. Sure, these movies are all very popular, but you're going to hear pieces of music to go, oh, I, I you know, I, that'll make me make you think, maybe make you feel it a little bit more and maybe even make you want to see something you haven't seen before. I'd like to know your opinion on the mix of uh, orchestra and synthesizer, and especially that um, that drum beat, which is uh, actually a basketball, basketball, basketball. Yeah. So you know, in in certain corners of of the film music world, you'll find people who absolutely love it and think it is it's absolutely perfect. Even though the film takes place in the nineteen fifties, they don't care that you have these modern electronics in the score because I mean, essentially, Vangelis basically blew that wide open with chariots of fire. So, you know, it was okay to add electronics to the score. However, there are some people who would rather have just a pure orchestral score without the distraction of modern instrumentation. So I'd like to hear what your opinion is on that matter. It's definitely a a time uh, of the year, you know, when these movies were coming out, Uh, mixing symphonic and electronic were, were, you know, were popular and were successful. It happens in uh, Blade Runner. Um, and this piece of music um, is very reminiscent to me of of parts of the Witness score with Harrison Ford. Um, it, it just uh, a, a, you're set in a country atmosphere, in a rural American atmosphere, and before you know it, there's there's a synthesized music, and it and it doesn't take away from anything. It's not too loud. It makes sense. These are young kids. These are young kids playing a high school sport. Of course, they would be listening to more modern music. It's not unbelievable to me, and it doesn't uh, distract. Yeah, Goldsmith was always so good at integrating electronics into his score, and always felt that it was. Um, you know, he also felt that it was a an added color or instrument that you could use. Like a you know, even you have violas, you have violins, you have trumpets, you have French horns, and then you can have a synthesizer making unique sounds that that uh, give each score their own unique personality. And I think he does that perfectly with Hoosiers. And and he incorporates some of these elements in later scores, uh, which I find actually quite interesting. But, you know, in the in the mid-80s, you know, Goldsmith's experimenting with electronics a lot. But I think you're right. It all just kind of, it just kind of works. It never distracts. And those little, uh, you know, tinkles of, of, uh, of uh, electronics, um, I think, just really... S- puts you, like you said, in that, in that world, in, you know, in Indiana, there's every time I hear it, I feel like, oh, okay, that's exactly where we are and we are nowhere else. Right. And, and, and the one thing that pops out to me the most, when you hear that, it's, it sounds of innocence. It sounds of simpleness, you know? Yes, exactly. That is the perfect, perfect way to describe it. So here now, is music from Hoosiers. This is the track You Did Good, with music composed and conducted by Jerry Goldsmith.
We now move on to our next selection, and we're going to listen to music to a really a fantastic, groundbreaking sports film that I cannot believe was released in 1990. I can't believe it was that long ago. It was directed by Tony Scott, features original score by Hans Zimmer. The film is Days of Thunder. I watched this a couple of years ago just to refamiliarize myself with it because I hadn't seen it, I think, since it first came out. And it is just an absolutely magnificent, thrilling uh, film with some incredible, incredible photography by Ward Russell, who has worked with Tony Scott forever. And Tony Scott has a very distinct style. I always like those long lens shots, but this really is an incredible movie with a great score. So tell us why you brought Days of Thunder with you today, Joe. Well, I, I went through a, a fan of racing and of NASCAR racing in, in the United States. And this movie happened right at the right in the middle of it. And, and you know, it has its critics and it has its criticism. Um, it's referenced sometime as being Top Gun on wheels. And you know what? I don't care because <laughs> I don't care. Either. It's, it's just good. It's a fun ride. Sure. It's unrealistic and yada, yada, yada. But listen, it's movies. And I go to movies to be to escape whatever. And uh, this was one of the first laser discs I ever bought. So wow. I'll, I'll let that date itself. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it, you know, I, I believe just recently, was it in Trotter or was it La La Land that released? Yeah, a, it was La La Land. A, yeah, I, I got I picked that up right away. That was a no brainer. Every once in a while, I have to convince myself that I really don't maybe want that piece of music. But I, I don't know. I, I, it's a great place in my life. I was smack dab middle of high school. Um, yeah, it, it's just a fun movie. It's a fun ride. It's got a great theme, doesn't it? Sure does. And what I also think was, I mean, again, having watched the movie a couple of years ago and then just reading up on it, um, I, I wondered how in the world they, they got the shots that they did. I mean, they're revolutionary shots. You have never seen, you know, action shots like that before, like from the perspective of the cars and being so close. But, you know, then figuring out that they actually had an uh, what an unnumbered uh, car in the actual Daytona 500 that year. You know, taking what was it, 12, 13 laps during the actual race? <laughs> it's insane. I, I watched I watched the race. I, I remember clearly watching this race. And, you know, there was footage from the movie that was going on. Actually, it wasn't a white flag. It wasn't a black flag. It, it, you know, it was it was during the, the green flag. And, and it was fascinating. And I think the uh, the commentators that were talking, you know, during the race and stuff, uh, they were having as much fun as anybody else because they just they knew what it was going to do for the sport. And it was just fun to see. And and for somebody to yeah you can go shoot a movie and, and during that time you know you could go shoot it on a track and even in in, in the in the nineties you could paint the background in or like that but to do it real that's Tony Scott I mean he, you know it, his his sunrises and sunsets have to have the ripples it has oh, to have yes. the believability you have to be able to smell the South I spent some time in, in North and South Carolina I know what it smells like and when you listen to this piece of music it's the opening piece of music it's the theme from the movie. Um, it even gives a fanfare to the American flag if if you if you watch the movie. Uh, it's just it's it's Americana. It's an anthem. Um, yes, it's got its its ridiculousness, but it is just it's a fun ride. And I don't mean to be um, to 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 make fun of it or or to be ironic. It's just a really good movie, really good story. Um, it, it's a popcorn movie. Yeah, exactly. And you're you're right. Uh, everything about this movie is atmosphere. You can feel it. You can touch it. You can almost taste it. And this whole opening sequence just puts you in the, the right mood. I mean, seeing these cars, you know, driving up and down the track in the early morning, it, it, 
I mean, I'm not a huge fan of, you know, racing. I don't really understand it that much, but I, 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 I get it. And, and seeing that opening sequence, I was like, holy smokes, this is amazing. And the wonder that the sound, but on top of that, though, the, the way that Hans Zimmer starts this cue, you know, with that twinkling and then, you know, revs up and, and gets you into that theme. Yeah, this is a, I honestly do think it's a special movie. And, and mainly because, like you said, it's real. I mean, nowadays you'd have computer generated cars flying all over the place and it just wouldn't feel right. But to know that they actually went out, real cars are smashed up. There's real, real drivers out there. There's real danger. Everything is shot. It's real. There's no, uh, you know, crazy special effects or, or CGI, you know, doing all the stunts uh, that that's what makes like, if you're going to do it, do it right. You know, show me what NASCAR is really, really like. And uh, as I said, I'm not a huge fan, but I got it. I get it. And I could feel it. Yeah. It's, it's uh, like you said, the twinkling and beginning of the theme. I mean, that's, that's the quietness when, you know, when you go to a race, if you, if you ever go to a race and if you, even if you go to a football game and there's tailgating, you get to those things incredibly early and that twinkling is the anticipation. It's the quietness because a NASCAR race or any race is extremely loud with the fans and the engines and what have you. But I, that you're right. When that piece of music starts off, though, it's the calm before the storm. It's the it's the cold morning on, on a hot summer day. And, and, and like I said, they captured very well. Um, I, 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 you'll hear a lot of uh, a couple of different guitars in some of these pieces of music that I picked. And the one thing that I kept writing when I would hear the guitar cue in a piece of music is always enter the rock star, enter the rock star. Guitar was always here's 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 the guy you want his autograph. This is the guy getting in the car. And I think they, they captured that very well. Yeah, it could easily be cliche, but there's nothing cliche about it. It's absolutely the perfect, the perfect instrumentation for this. Here now, Days of Thunder, the main title by Hans Zimmer.
Kitchener, Ontario, Canada, this is the Cinematic Sound Radio Network. And you're listening to The Flagship Show with Eric Woods. All right, welcome back to the program. Uh, on today's show, we are talking to uh, our highest tier Patreon member, Joe Wiles. And he has brought along with him memorable themes from sports films. This is fantastic. I haven't done a sports film show, I think, since I was on FM. So I am so glad that uh, that you brought up this topic on the program today. And so our next selection comes from an American classic, a sports classic. It has spawned, I think, about 150 sequels. Uh, it's from the 1976 film. Rocky, the Oscar winner for Best Picture, directed by John Alvidson and starring in, and of course, it was written by Sylvester Stallone and composed by the great Bill Conti. So tell us about the track that you brought with you from this score. You know, Rocky uh, is a little bit older than I am, which, uh, you know, I don't have a whole lot in my collection that I could say that. Well, that's not true, but it's rare that I, I appreciate something. To me, the music from Rocky just reminds me of being young. It's it's the seventies. Uh, it's uh, I'm from Central Pennsylvania. Philadelphia is a very ha- a very happy place for me. I, I, I go there often. Uh, I'm a fan. Uh, and and when looking at Rocky, and Rocky's always been there. That you go to the art museum and and, and see the statue um, from the movie is still there, and and it's one of the major tourist attractions in Philadelphia. And there's quite a bit of American history in Philadelphia, if you haven't already known that. But the Rocky statue brings to people in droves because it's just iconic. It's 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 film and movie history, um, and it and it's it's just it's the blue collar working class of Philadelphia. The piece of music that I picked with Rocky, um, I think, uh, helps describe and explain the journey. Um, this piece is from the montage while he's fighting Apollo Creed in the first movie. Um, and it's a little bit of everything. It's a little bit of all the things I like. Um, and, and again, with a lot of these pieces of sports film music, you hear the clicking and the time clock. You hear the, the, the click track. You just hear that time is passing by. And it's, it's more prevalent in this piece of music because we are watching um we're kind of speeding up time we're watching uh, round after round after round and it and it to me it describes the angst it, it describes just giving everything you've worked for um to get to this moment and just laying it all out there you can hear um the exhaustedness of 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 of, of rocky and of apollo um and, it, and it's just it really really good at setting the scene like a lot of these pieces of music um, it makes you feel like the 70s. It makes you feel like Philadelphia. It, you can almost smell um, the auditorium. And, and I, I, I've always enjoyed it. Bill Conti is really good at these, um, these rousing cues that just build and build and build to these fantastic climaxes. You know, you know the Karate Kid movies are another great example of that, especially, you know, the, the, the bigger version of that kind of uh, heroic fanfare that was in Karate Kid that he then used in Karate Kid too. So I've always enjoyed Bill Conti and I mean, his trumpet writing, the brass writing is something else. I don't think anybody writes for brass the way uh, Bill Conti does. Um, what I find interesting though about this score, and I'm not sure whether it is something that, that could bother you or whether you know it, but it, it just seems absolutely grounded in the time that it was written. Uh, it's not timeless, but it's part of the 70s. It cannot be part of any other decade. And it's 
it's almost difficult to hear maybe the same type of orchestration throughout the Rocky films, but Conti has modernized it as it's gone along. But this is distinctly a 1970s score. Let me, let me tell you what, why I'm attracted to this movie score. Um, it's because of the fact that the music that Bill Conti composed for this movie is just like any Philadelphian. Here I am. This is me. This is what I sound like. Take it or leave it. Yeah, and it and it feels authentic. Yeah, um, exactly. And even with the voices, like you know, the whole uh, you know, the whole montage piece, which could have been silly or over the top, um, you know, incorporating that into this score, I think, was a, a a gutsy decision, and for it to work as well as it. I mean, this whole film was a gamble to begin with, so I'm even I'm glad that they did the same thing with the with the music. But yeah, it's and and it's. You know, even the, the the rest of the music that Conti wrote for the series is just as good. And uh, but you're right. This is um, this is one of the best. Um, you know, it's a game changing score, and this track is uh, probably one of the most influential. It's called "Going the Distance" from Rocky, written by Bill Conti.
Up next is music from For Love of the Game, a 1999 film directed by Sam Raimi, starring Kevin Costner as a uh, pitcher who is, uh, this is his last game, and he's uh, throwing a perfect game at the the holiest of grounds in Major League Baseball, uh, Yankee Stadium. Uh, and throughout the movie, he's also going through memories about his uh, long-term relationship uh, with his, uh, was, was it his wife or was his girlfriend at the time? Were they married? I can't remember. When, when it, this piece, it, this part in the movie, they are yet not yet married. Okay. All right. Um, so yeah, it's an interesting movie, an interesting take on, on baseball. Um, and again, Kevin Costner and yet another baseball movie, but I mean, it, it, who else would you pick? And he actually plays a, an over the hill, uh, pitcher perfectly. And, uh, everything about it really does feel authentic, which is kind of what I want to see in a sports movie. And it was an interesting choice for composer from Sam Raimi for everybody that he's worked with from Danny Elfman uh, to Christopher Young and Joseph uh, Laduca. He goes out and picks Basil Polidorus to score this movie, which was an inspired choice. And I can remember in 1999 when this film came out and there was no announcement of a soundtrack album. Yet there was a promo and it was super expensive and everybody wanted it. And it only had about, I think about 20, 22 minutes of music on it. I could be wrong, but, um, but finally Verez Saraband records, you know, saved the day and, and, and released the score, uh, uh, later on. But I can remember this promo going for, for a whole bunch of, of money. Um, but, uh, it's a fantastic score and the track that you chose is, wow. I mean, it's a highlight, this whole score is a highlight, but I absolutely love this cue as well. So the cue is called Last Pitch. Tell us all about it. Um, so like you like you said, uh, my notes that I have for this piece of music are very simple. It says Costner, comma, baseball. That's all it says. <laughs> I'm a huge baseball fan. Um, to me, baseball is the most romantic sport. Not a lot of people can sit and watch a game. My favorite baseball game is a rain delay doubleheader. The longer I can sit there, <laughs> the more boring it is. My my wife's first baseball game she went to, it was nothing to nothing. It was uh, Kurt Schilling pitching for the Phillies, and I think Maddox was on the mound for the wow. Atlanta Braves. And it was nothing to nothing to the ninth, and then the final score was one nothing. Phillies lost. She was like, that was incredibly boring. I said, this isn't going to work out. <laughs> uh, but I feel you, man. So, I get it. I get yeah. it. I played baseball. I know baseball. I love a good pitcher's duel. Yeah. You know, I, I, let's be honest. Uh, Costner and baseball are going to probably come up on my list again. So so brace yourselves. Prepare for disappointment. Um, when I heard of Costner doing a baseball movie that was a uh, that was a uh, a romance, I was like, yeah. So my wife and I were were dating at the time, and, and we went to this movie, and I'm sure I cried, and I'm sure she realized, you know, hey, she 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 talked to me the next day, so she must have figured some things out, or it, it could be worse. But uh, a gorgeous movie, a, a journey movie. I love any movie or television show that starts off at a time period, and then you and then as that piece of, of time is going on we're going back and we're describing the story and the longer you hang in there the more rewarded you are and it's not necessarily known spoiler alert in this movie that he's pitching a perfect game until you're towards the end because the whole time he's pitching this game he's thinking back to this girl that he met long ago and they had an on and off again relationship and when you're a star pitcher on the road 
uh, which he which he is for the Detroit Tigers. Um, you know, you kind of live life fast and, and you're a rock star and you're going to hear the guitar again. Because why? Because uh, a pitcher pitching in Yankee Stadium, whether you're home or away, is absolutely a rock star. Uh, a great movie. Didn't necessarily knock it out of the box office, but it, 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 it fit perfectly for me. It comes on the TV now. I'm watching it. Yeah, I think there's some iconic shots uh, in this film. There's that uh, almost like a 360 shot of uh, shooting up high at Costner and you see Yankee Stadium just just surrounding him and all the fans and they're all just, you know, leering down on him. And you just feel feel the pressure. I mean, I pitched a few games in my life, nothing close to a perfect game, but you, you just it's a it's an odd experience being a pitcher because everybody's eyes are on you <laughs> and and it, it, it you're controlling the game. It's such a weird, weird experience. But um, I, I think, again, talking about electronics in a score, and not that these electronics are are out of place. It's just, I think Goldsmith and Polydorus really put electronics and orchestral material together, uh, probably the, the best out of anybody within their era. And they always crafted unique electronics, again, that were a part of that film and, and nothing else. But it always felt like an organic part of the music. And Polydorus just knocks it out of the park with, uh, with this score and, 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 it's, and his use of electronics as well. Yeah, I, I would have to hypothesize. Uh, I know we discussed, uh, you know, there was an odd choice for a composer for this type of movie. The only thing I can come to think of is that Sam Raimi was a bit of a Conan the Barbarian fan, and he was just <laughs> trying to check some boxes off his list. So, <laughs> hey, it's a it's a good excuse. I mean, you know, anybody that has worked with 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 Basil Polidorus, they they it's been a wonderful experience, and he's just elevated every movie that he's ever worked on. So this is a this is another one. I think it's an underrated gem. I also think the film is is highly underrated, and this track is. Uh, exceptional. This is the last pitch from For Love of the Game, released in 1999, music composed by Basil Polidorus.
sitting here with Joel Wiles, who is uh, one of Cinematic Sound's uh, biggest supporters on on the Patreon page. And today he has brought along with him memorable themes in sports films. And this one might be one of the most memorable, emotional themes in sports film history. It comes from the 1989 film Field of Dreams features a classic score by uh, James Horner. Again, another Kevin Costner film who I, I think this is one of his very best performances. And it's uh, just, I think it's one of the very best movies I have ever seen. I've talked about this score numerous times before. So uh, Joe, this is, uh, this is your time. So let us know what Field of Dreams means to you. Well, Field of Dreams, uh, I think we're um, we, we're in agreement where um, I, I think of my father uh, not having the greatest relationship with my father. And it was on and off again. Um, I listen to this music. Uh, it makes me think of the relationship we could have had. It, it makes me uh, reminisce of the relationship that we did have um, and what the good things were, uh, not so much the bad things. And. It's a comforting piece. It's it's Jimmy Horner. It's Jimmy Horner doing what Horner does. Um, it, it's 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 romantic. Uh, it's antique. You know, you can definitely tell um, from this piece of music um, at basically what time period he introduces some electronic stuff uh, when we're in the cornfield or, or whatever. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it's just good stuff. Uh, again, it's it's Costner, comma baseball. It, it's he's just young enough in his career still where um, he's he's not trying too hard, but he's Costner lost his level of innocence uh, after a while. He grew up. He grew up in front of the camera, uh, and, and he became you know uh, 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 better at it and more confident, and he had a little bit of a swagger. But he plays Ray Kinsella so well because. You know, they're the same age. I think he can relate. Um, it's believable. And, and everything that he does, you don't blame him for. Uh, it's a fantastic movie. And, and if you don't cry, you don't have a heart. That's all I got to say. <laughs> well, it was quite a daring move for him to go to another baseball film directly after uh, a Bull Durham. And, uh, but I'm, I'm, I'm glad he did because you're right. He has just a, enough of innocence. There's just something about his posture something about his face his eyes that again during that climactic moment in this movie even the break in his voice just starts bringing the tears but again it's it's mainly due to james horner because he just hits that you know that one perfect chord and starts playing the theme and that's it uh every single man in the world is is in tears um it's interesting you brought up the 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 relationship with your father because it's a different sort of relationship than what I've had with my dad. Cause I was, I was always super close with him. So I come at this film with a different point of view. However, yours sort of matches kind of what's happening in the movie because, you know, Ray and his dad really didn't have the greatest of, of, of relationship. And then finally they were able to rekindle with a, with a game of catch. Uh, am I correct in that uh, assumption? Yeah, I guess I, I honestly have never thought of it that way until you bring it up. Um, I, I didn't necessarily have closure, um, but I don't, you know, I, I, I'm not upset. It, it is what it is. My, my father has since passed. Um, I think we had a really good understanding of how each other felt about each other and, and in a positive way. Um, 
we just uh, like to hold grudges and uh, it's too late now but i i don't i'm not missing time because of it i i am uh, re-emphasizing uh my efforts in um with my own son and uh, he's 14 now and 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 he gets it and and i make sure that i i communicate a little bit better um and 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 yeah it's it is what it is i guess is, is what i would say uh, let me ask you a question then, you know, what is it about, I mean, I'm try, again, if you just try to explain this to anybody else who I guess isn't, um, doesn't have a relationship with their dad or isn't a dad, um, you know, what is it about the bond between father and son and, and, and sports? And that just makes every man on the planet watching this cry at that one exact moment. I mean, I, we all know it's James Horner, but what is that, what is that, what makes that special? I think it's 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 like uh, I'll, I'll sidetrack you for a second. Star Wars. Somebody says to me, you know, why is Star Wars so popular? Star Wars means a million things to a million different people. And this movie is the same thing. It can fit any mold. Um, my father and I, my father played minor league baseball. I was a big baseball fan. We probably went to one or two games together. We just could never get it to work. But we had baseball in common. I take my son to baseball games now in spite of my dad not taking me to baseball games. So for whatever the mess was, good things are happening. Baseball and fathers, you either wanted your father to th throw you catch or your father um, demanded that you went out and, and now you resent <laughs> baseball. You know, there, there's, there's so many different far ends of the spectrum. But the fact of the matter is that everybody, whether it be sports or baseball, whatever, Everybody has a relationship, and this movie can scratch that itch from any different perspective. I think it's it's timeless. I think it it says a whole lot without saying anything at all. And I know that's a cliche, but it, you know that's that's how it works for me. Going back to James Horner's score, uh, you decided not to pick um, uh, the 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 finale cue. You decided to pick the end credits. Is there a reason for that? I. I just like the pieces of music that were chosen for the end credits. The finale is great. Um, I, I, I don't have any reason. I just like the snapshot of all the different themes and, and, and kind of tie it up in a nice little bow. Yeah, I agree. I, I think it just contains, you know, the quintessential James Horner, French horn solo <laughs> right off the bat. It's so, yeah, it's yeah, exactly. so perfect. It's, yeah. And, and that's the piece of music that I like most. And, you, you know, uh, you can sit me in a room full of 100 people. You play that piece of music right there the first minute, and my eyes are watering. I'm not ashamed. It, it's just, I don't know how he did it, but he did a very good job at it. Uh, it's a beautiful piece of music. It's it's beautiful memories. Um, it's good stuff. It's not the bad stuff. And, and boy, is it warm. You can smell the corn. Uh, you can you can you can feel the the breeze off of the hot hot summer day, and as the night comes in, it starts to cool down a little bit. And you can hear the corn rustling a little bit. It does a really good job, and I don't even know that he tried it, but but my hat's off to him. I miss him. Yeah, it's interesting you 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 talk about that first minute of this cue because it's not fair. It's not fair what James Horner did because I mean you're already just in a a puddle of tears, you know, as that as that you know we see that helicopter shot. Um, you know, coming from, you know, uh, Ray playing catch with his dad and you see all those cars lined up to come see the field and you're just, as you're wiping the tears away, all of a sudden we hit the end credits and Horner just lays on this first minute to you and you're like, oh my God, more. Um, but that's what made Horner so great. I, I, probably the greatest um, emotional composer I think you'll ever 
ever find. And I mean, he's sorely missed. And but I mean, this guy could just slay you with a, a single note, a single chord. And he does that in this in this film as well. Yep, absolutely. Uh, you know, I, I like I said, I miss him tremendously. I have a lot of his scores in my collection. Um, and they're all they're, they all target the heartstrings. They all they all serve their purpose that, you know, I, I they all make you feel a, a certain different way, whether it be Braveheart or, or anything else. Uh, you feel what's going on. Agreed. Here now, Field of Dreams. This is the end credits suite with music composed and conducted by the late, great James Horner.
bringing you the very best music for film, TV and video games. This is the Cinematic Sound Radio Network. Up next is music from a film I haven't seen. I only saw a couple of scenes uh, just recently, just to prep for this show. It's from the 2002 film The Rookie, directed by John Lee Hancock, and it tells the true story of Jim Morris, who made his Major League Baseball debut at the age of 35 with the Tampa Bay Rays, and Dennis Quaid plays Morris in the film. Carter Burwell is the composer, creates a a fantastic score, which I think still to this day is commercially unreleased. Um, So it's a real treat to hear selections from uh, this score on today's program. So tell us about The Rookie. Uh, Like I said, uh, Dennis Quaid uh, uh, plays a uh, a high school teacher uh, and and a baseball coach for a local Texas team. Um, and his his students um, convince him um, to go and do try out as a pitcher at, at a uh, open tryout call uh, for the Texas Rangers. And uh, so he, he, you know, I think I think if I remember correctly, um, he tells them if they win uh, the championship or if they win the next game or, or whatever, um, that he will go try out. Well, lo and behold, these kids rally very bad news, bearish, but uh, mm-hmm. very inspiring. And uh, he has to go try out. And, you know, after they win, he's like, well, I got to go do this now. Um, very nice scene, uh, very iconic scene where he um, stops. He's going down the highway and there's one of those uh, signs that tell you how fast you're going, you know, slow down, you know. And, and, and so he stops and he gets out of his truck and he puts the glove on and he throws the ball past the sign. So he wants to see how fast a pitch he has. And uh, I don't remember the number um, exactly. Um, but let's say he throws the ball and it's like 65 or, 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 or whatever, 65 miles an hour. And he just kind of makes a face and shrugs his shoulders. And he says to him, you know, thinking to himself, I knew it. I knew I didn't have the chops to do it. Well, lo and behold, this sign was faulty. And as he gets back in his car, um, the light kind of twinkles and flashes and it, and it was 80. It wasn't 60 that he was pitching. Um, and so he, then he goes to the tryouts and, he, he works his way through it and he actually gets picked right at the end and, and just on a whim kind of thing and has to go through the minors. He has two small children at home. Um, again, this is, you know, rural Texas, uh, but it became a great story. It's a true story. Uh, and then eventually does get picked up by the Tampa Bay Devil Rays and does um, go in and relief pitch a game. Beautiful movie. Uh, you know, if if I can't have Kevin Costner in a baseball movie, I'll take Dennis Quaid any day. He's extremely believable. His facial expressions um, he doesn't have to do much dialogue. Uh, his facial expressions when he's in pain from, you know, hanging with all these young guys in the minor league system. Uh, it's very believable. It's very heartwarming. I stumbled across this movie like in the middle of the night. I woke up and needed to watch something as I was going back to sleep. And the next thing you know, it's six o'clock in the morning and I'm wide awake and I'm looking to see when it's on again because I'm going to watch it. So uh, <laughs> that's why it's on my list. Uh, Burwell does a great job, um, again, setting the scene, setting the the planes. You can almost hear the tumbleweeds going by at the beginning of this piece of music. And, and he did a really good job. Didn't overplay it. Um, didn't, it's not an anthem by any sense of the word. He just it does a really great job of, of bringing you in and, and you, can, you can smell the atmosphere. 
Yeah, you you said it right. I, I was going to mention that. Yeah, it feels like you're in Texas with the with the with the music. It's it's not overdone. It feels intimate. It it feels part of the atmosphere of the of the film. And you could oh, you know, when it gets to that ending uh, scene where Morris finally enters the game, you could almost sense that he is going to overdo it. You're going to have that real rousing anthemesque moment and. He almost gets there, but it's really just as Morris enters the game, the door opens from the bullpen and he walks out on the field. It, it's it's really just some, you know, simple low bed music with a with a swelling cymbal uh, role. And, you know, he goes onto the field. What I also find really interesting about this is that it's a visiting game. So he's the visiting team. So the only people really paying attention are his family members or friends that are in the, the crowd. There's no... um you know, round of applause or anything like that. It's, it's, there's nothing ceremonial. It's just, he's coming in, but he's essentially living a dream. I mean, I, I, I think any, you know, anybody that has played sports before can just think about, you know, special moments that they would love to have in a, in a professional game, whether, you know, it's the NHL and you score the, you know, the game seven overtime winner for the Stanley cup, or you're, you're pitching a perfect game in, in baseball, you throw that game winning touchdown in, 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 in the Super Bowl, But you know, just even to put a, a major league sweater on and walk out onto a major league field. I mean, you could just you could just sense it. You can feel it in Dennis Quaid's performance as he gets there. And he knows he has a job to do, but I, I just like how subdued, that's the word I'm looking for, Carter Burwell's music is, but you can still feel it. And I, I really appreciate that because you, you can almost go over the top like, you know, they did a major league, which is perfect because that's what you need in that movie. But again, authentic, uh, uh, being... Um, authenticity is important to me in sports movies. And this one felt like they captured that moment perfectly without going over the top. Yeah. I felt like that um, we were along with him on this journey. This journey was his, it wasn't our movie. It was his story. And we were just, we were just happy to go along. Um, the music doesn't outplay itself. It doesn't, it doesn't come off like a rock star. It's a personal journey for him. That became a personal journey for a lot of other people too, for a small town uh, and, and extremely rewarding at the end. Um, any comments about this, uh, this open, I think this is the opening track on the album. Um, so it, it really paints a clear picture, but is there any reason why you picked this one out of the, I think it's like five or six tracks on the promo? I just like the way I, I thought this piece of music just sets the scene. Well, it, it tells you where you are. It tells you what kind of movie you're about to see. Um, and, and, you know, we're not going to overdo you with brass and, and it's a real, you know, come along for this journey. It's a simple story. Um, and I guarantee you'll, 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 you know, be rewarded afterwards. So it was very welcoming. Yeah, this is something Carter Burwell does uh, really well. So this is the track called The Plains from the 2002 film The Rookie.
Part one of this two-part conversation with Joe Wiles, we talked for a few hours, and so I decided that we should split this episode into two parts. I really hope you enjoyed part one and part two. will be available shortly with six more great cues as chosen by Joe Wiles himself. Again, if you're interested in joining the Cinematic Sound Patreon family, the community, then please go to patreon.com slash cinematic sound radio. And there you can sign up for one of the tiers. And the lowest tier is only $8 a month. And we thank you very much for your support. And we thank all of our patrons for their support of this podcast. Well, until next time, my name is Eric Woods. Thank you very much for listening to the flagship show here on the Cinematic Sound Radio Podcast. And until next time, take care wherever you are in this world and happy listening. Thank you for tuning in to the Cinematic Sound Radio Network. I want to thank Tim Burton for providing his voice for all the bumpers and stingers you hear throughout the show, and to David Casina for providing Cinematic Sound Radio's intro music. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, please email us at cinematicsound at yahoo.com. You can find us on social media at Sound Radio on Twitter, at Cinematic Sound on Facebook, and from wherever you're listening to us today, please leave us a five-star rating and a positive review. Reviews help introduce potential new listeners to the show. While you're at it, head over to TeePublic to find yourself a Cinematic Sound Radio t-shirt and support us on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash cinematicsoundradio. And don't forget to check out Cinematic Sound Radio at cinematicsound.net.